Matthew 27, 29. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Going to the cross, Jesus wore a crown that was placed upon his head by Roman soldiers who saw it as a great joke that a Jew from Nazareth would claim to be a king. Before they crucified him, the soldiers mockingly dressed Jesus in kingly attire. For if he foolishly claims to be a king, He should be dressed like one. They draped him in a purple robe, handed him a stick for a scepter, and placed upon his head a crown made of thorns. They made fun of him. They struck him. They kneeled before him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him. They took the stick from his hand and struck him across the head, driving the crown of thorns ever deeper into his scalp. The Roman soldiers thought that this sadistic mockery of whom they believed to be a false king was fun. What they didn't realize, much like the crowd who sinfully cried for Jesus' execution didn't realize, is that their sinful actions that they meant for evil was used for good by God in the working of his plan. When the soldiers placed a crown upon Jesus' head, they unknowingly anointed him with a symbol that pointed to the revelation of God's grace for humanity that would be poured out from the cross. They placed a crown of thorns upon his head, thinking it was a painful mockery, and it was. But what would have remained so on any other head was a sign of hope and redemption upon the head of Jesus. The Roman soldiers didn't know the history of God's creation because they didn't know the scriptures, so they couldn't have seen it. But hope was displayed in that twisted crown of thorns Upon Jesus' head. A hope that is now a reality that every person who trusts in Christ walks in. God created humanity for a purpose. Every single person needs to know that. Every one of you. Whether you know Jesus Christ or not, whether you believe in God or not, we're created for a purpose. Some may say, well, I don't believe that there is a God. And to that, I would say not believing something doesn't negate the truth of it. There are lots of things people don't believe that are true and God is no different. You were created with a purpose. And that purpose is laid to the fact, tied to the fact that you and I and every single person who ever lived were created in the image of God. 
Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were created in the image of God. And so to understand our purpose, we must ask, what does an image do? Well, an image reflects a likeness. Not a likeness of itself, but of the one it was created to image. Think about it like this. When, when someone creates a statue of a person, their intent is not for you to focus on the different parts of that statue or to revel in the marble that was used in that statue. Their intention is for you to see the likeness of the person portrayed. And so it is with us. Our purpose is to show God, to display him. Our purpose is to have an individual look upon us and see a reflection of the glory of God. That is every single person's purpose. And we may accomplish it in different ways through different acts, but it all points to God's glory. In Isaiah 43, 6-7, God declares, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We were created to display God's glory. That's our purpose. And it's a beautiful, fulfilling purpose. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that causes the human heart to rejoice more than the glory of God. There is a fullness of joy in seeing and savoring and displaying God's glory that cannot be found in anything else because it's the reason why we were made. But we squandered it. Our purpose was lost to us as sin entered the world. Twisting our desires and pulling our hearts away from God. And the love of glorifying him was replaced with the love of our own glory. And it all started with Adam and Eve. The first image bearers who were created to walk with God, to reflect God, to commune with him, to shine forth his goodness on the earth. God, in his wisdom, created humanity with free will. And with free will came the potential to obey God and walk in his ways, as well as the potential to disobey God, decide that we know better and go our own way. And so when Satan came to Eve telling her to eat of the fruit of the tree that God commanded them not to eat from, a tree that she saw was desirable for food, a choice needed to be made in that moment. Do they trust God or do they seek their own way, giving into desire, giving into temptation, believing that their way is better than God's way? And Adam and Eve gave into desire. They disobeyed God. And they chose their own way. And when they ate of the fruit, I would imagine 
They didn't have in mind the consequences. They had no idea the brevity of what they were doing. They couldn't comprehend how far the fall would be. Just like we often don't comprehend how absolutely damaging it is when we make sinful choices. But sin leads to death. And when that choice was made in the garden, it brought sin into the world and with it, death. And all of the evil that our world is cursed with and our own hearts wrestle with. In Romans 5.12, Paul tells us, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Through Adam's transgression, sin spread to all of us. John Piper describes what happened in the fall using the analogy of a mirror. He says, in the fall, Satan persuaded me that my image is more beautiful than God's image. And so the mirror that should be pointing up to God has been flipped around so it doesn't reflect God, but it reflects me. The mirror casts a shadow in the shape of me on the ground rather than the light of God to the world. And we've been preferring ourselves to God ever since. Since the fall, all who are born are born in sin and rebellion to God. Our hearts are twisted and our lives are filled with the idol of self. And we try to replace what we lost by chasing after our own glory. Sin takes root in our hearts from the time of our mother's womb. And it is a deadly condition that causes us to be separated from God, going against His ways. And since God is the creator of life, to be separate from Him means to experience death. From the moment Adam and Eve's eyes were opened in the garden, there stood a chasm of sin between us and God. Fellowship broken because a perfect, holy God cannot dwell with sinful flesh. When we are born, we are born condemned. And the punishment is death. And an eternal separation from God because of our sin. We see the effects of humanity's sin everywhere. It's everywhere you look. The entire creation. Every human. Every animal. Every plant. Every natural process groans under the curse of sin. Apart from the Spirit of God convicting an individual of it, they won't recognize their sin, their guilt. But whether in Christ or apart from Christ, all humanity, I believe, can know and see that there is something wrong with our world. Sin. Sin is the constant desire to put self first. It is the pleasure we get from putting another person down. It is the harsh word to our spouse and our children. It's the rash decision to cut people out of our lives and hate those who are different than us. It's the desire for that thing that we know is wrong. It's that addiction that we cannot shake. It's the little white lies that we tell. It's the money that we hold on to tightly. It's the possessions that we covet. Sin is the confusion of identity. It is the desecration of God's design. It's verbal. It's physical. It's sexual abuse. It's the man who exploits a woman. It's every evil everywhere in our world. 
The judgment has come down. And the verdict for all of us is guilty. And the penalty of sin is death. You need to know that is what we all deserve. Our sin angers God. We had paradise and we burned it to the ground. And there has to be a punishment for our crimes. Can you imagine a judge declaring a man guilty and then not sentencing him? There would be an outcry of injustice. In the same way, a just God punishes sin and that punishment is death. And there is nothing we can do to stay our punishment. Death is the deserved end of our story. And it would be horrific if I ended there and said, that's it, let's pack up, let's go home. But thanks be to God, that doesn't have to be the end of your story. Because of one magnificent act and one glorious word, grace, undeserved merit, the receiving of something that you cannot earn, you are not owed, but you are freely given. And this is what God offers us. Grace was offered to sinners upon a bloodstained cross where our Savior died. Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, came down from heaven at the behest of His Father, willingly humbling Himself from His kingly position, taking on lowly flesh, walking in the likeness of man, experiencing life as we experience it, yet perfectly, sinlessly, in order that He might die in the flesh to take the punishment that I owed, the punishment that you owed and all of humanity owed upon His shoulders. This is why we're here this morning. God's wrath poured out upon the cross as the perfect spotless lamb sacrificed himself so that we may live. He endured the shame. He endured the beatings and the mocking, the pain, the separation from his father so that we would never have to bear those things. He gave up his spirit so that it can be declared it is finished. Sin had been atoned for. Guilt had been removed. And the chasm between us and God was bridged. A great exchange was made on the cross. His life for ours, our sin for his righteousness. But I tell you this morning, though grace is freely given, it must be freely received. We were born sinful in order to be free of sin. Jesus said we must be born again. John 3 Three to five, when he's talking to the religious leader, Nicodemus, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. To be born again 
means to have a fundamental change of heart. It is a spiritual transformation that occurs when we believe in faith that it is by grace that we have been saved by Jesus Christ. Not by any works of our own, but trusting in the one who paid the penalty of sin when he died on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. To be born again means to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when you do, God grants you new life as His child. You receive the Holy Spirit within you and you are a part of His kingdom, sealed with the promise of eternal life and made brand new. This is what Jesus Christ won for you on the cross. If you're here and you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit speaking to you in your heart. You need to be born again. Repent of your sins. Which just means speak to God and admit, I am a sinner. I've sinned against you. And I'm sorry. Please Forgive me. I know I'm deserving of punishment, but Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve so that through faith I could be forgiven forever. I place my trust in Jesus for salvation. That's what Good Friday is all about. I spoke at the very beginning that The mocking soldiers didn't realize they'd put a symbol of hope on Jesus' head when they gave him a crown of thorns. And I want to share with you this little symbol that God weaved into the narrative of his word. Throughout the scriptures, thorns and thistles are this subtle symbol of sin and the curse that came when Adam and Eve rebelled. Long before our Savior wore a crown of thorns on his head, thorns entered the narrative of God's story in Genesis 3. As part of the curse, God declares over creation and Adam's sin. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ground that once yielded abundance would bring forth thorns and thistles. As a reminder of the toiling and hardship that was caused by sin. Thorns and thistles are good for nothing. I have thorn bushes on the edge of my property and all they're good for is ruining clothes and tearing skin. And this is what God calls forth from the ground as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. The next time we see thorns in scripture though, it's a different picture. We see them next in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses meets God 
in a burning bush. Exodus 3, verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Do you know that both Jesus and Stephen reference this event? Stephen speaks of it in Acts 7.30 before he's stoned. Jesus speaks of it in Luke 20, verse 37, and both use a specific Greek word, betos, to describe it. A word that means thornbush. God, who declared a curse of thorns in Genesis 3, appears in a burning thornbush in Exodus 3. And this time, from the thornbush, he speaks of deliverance for his people Israel from the oppression of Egypt. Interesting. Next, in Exodus 25 and 26, God commands Moses to build a tabernacle to him for him to dwell in. And he tells him to build it out of acacia wood, also known as shittim wood. This particular tree is hard to build with, largely in part because its branches are covered in thorns. But this is the tree that God commands Moses to build with. And in Exodus 26, 32, he directs him to overlay the wood with gold. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia, overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. Later in Numbers 25 in Joshua 2, when the people are rebellious against God, not entering the promised land because of their sins, guess where they were camping? In a place called Shittim, literally a field of thorns. God's word is fascinating. Like one story written over thousands of years by 40 different authors. And it weaves the narrative of redemption so beautifully, even into the smallest details of God's creation, like thorns and thistles. God's word is incredible. God curses the ground with thorns and thistles and then promises deliverance from a thorn bush. He builds his tabernacle out of wood covered in thorns and overlays the wood with gold, signifying purity. His people dwell in a field of thorns before entering into the promised land. This is not a coincidence. This is God showing the story of redemption all throughout history. And leading to the cross, Jesus wore a crown of thorns. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. You see this picture. Thorns that came from sin were placed upon the head of the one who would pay the penalty for sin. It's a picture of hope. It's a symbol of redemption and restoration of God's creation in the midst of a horrific and painful event. This is what we commemorate today on Good Friday. It is a day of mourning that is cut through with a thread of hope that our lowly king who is betrayed, who is beaten, who is whipped and 
and scorned, who gave up his life on a sinner's tree, would not remain dead. That when Jesus declared it is finished on the cross, it didn't mean that sin had won. It meant that he had accomplished what he had come to do. Sin atoned for, death defeated, and his people free. And this is the picture of hope and redemption that we see in the crown of thorns that those soldiers put on his head, unknowingly showing this picture of hope in the midst of darkness. Jesus declared before he died, it is finished. And Friday ended in darkness and sadness and gloom and unsure what would be next. And we have to wait for Sunday to see what God would do next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to pray for those here that don't know you. God, 12 years ago, on Good Friday, I walked through the doors of the church wanting absolutely nothing to do with you. And you spoke to my heart. And you made me brand new. God, I pray that for those here that don't know you. They may have come just not wanting to hear anything, not wanting to be here, maybe at the behest of another person. That was me. And Lord, you spoke to my heart in that day, and you've changed my life. And so, Father, I pray that the truth of what Jesus did on the cross would go deep into people's hearts this morning. Father, that those who didn't know the truth before would see it now, Maybe not perfectly, but enough to ask if this man thought that he had to die on a cross for me, why? Why did he think that? May that be enough for them to just start a journey of asking the right questions. Father, for those who are here that, that know you, God, I pray for those who are tired and who are weary in their faith. Father, I pray that days like today would remind us of how glorious you are. Lord, that if we're tired and we're weary, oh, Father, please reignite a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Reignite our faith and our understanding and our desire and our want for you because you're greater than everything. And you have given everything. Father, we, we mourn on Good Friday, that Jesus had to die, had to be mocked, had to do, go through all of those horrific things because of our sin. But we're so grateful. Father, we're so grateful for what you have done on our behalf. And we give you praise for it this morning. And we know, Lord, that the mourning and the sadness of Friday gives way to the greatest joy on Sunday morning our Savior risen. And Lord, we can't wait for Sunday.
to celebrate the risen King. We give you praise and we give you honor and we give you all of the glory due to your name. In Jesus' name.